you want to be the, a person that, that is active and, and being forward thinking about, am I getting the right price for the right risk right now? As capacity pulls back, you want to run towards, run towards opportunity. That's how I think about it. We don't know what those opportunities will be in 10 years, uh, but having a, a forward thinking perspective, like I know you shared, Dan, would benefit us regardless of what those opportunities might be. Welcome to MGA Founders Podcast with Socotra CEO, Dan Woods. Tune in each episode to hear Dan chat with innovative MGA founders to learn their stories, their challenges, and their visions. And now our host, Dan Woods. Gage Calgaris is founder and CEO of Ledgebrook, a tech-enabled ENS MGA aiming to provide a fast and simple quoting experience to wholesale brokers while delivering best-in-class pricing and risk selection using its next-generation tech stack. All right, Gage, good to see you. It's been a little while. Yeah, great to see you too. I think it was, Yeah, I'm trying to think here, is it probably eight, nine months ago that we met up um, here in Austin? Uh, you were in town meeting with, um, I think, some investors or prospective investors. Sounds like that round went pretty well. It did. That's right. We were in Austin meeting our, our lead investors at, over at Brand Foundry and we're able to hook up with you at a, a wine bar and, and discuss that's right. some, some of those topics. I know that's an interest of yours. That's right. I know we definitely talked uh, and consumed a little wine. It was a good time. <laughs> um, and and that, start, that was our first meeting. But of course, now we're working together. And we'll talk some more about that, too. I'm, I'm, I'm sure in, in, in good course. But first, I want to hear a little bit about um, a little bit more about your mission. Um, first thing that catches my attention is you're talking about wholesale brokers here. And um, so much of at least the first wave of insurtechs was all about direct, direct, direct. And you're taking this tact, which um, obviously a lot of people are saying, look, you can't direct everything. And I think everyone agrees on that. But I'm kind of curious how you're seeing that and how it relates to Ledgebrook and what you're doing. That's a great question, Dan. And so to start at the highest level, when I think about what we're doing at Ledgebrook, it's really combining the best of modern technology with insurance people who know what they're doing, right? So I'm somebody who has training as an actuary. I've been in the industry for almost a decade. And so I'm able to kind of access a, an ENS wholesale broker market, or even know what it is, right, to be able to address the pain points there. And so I think that's a big difference from some of the InsureTech Wave 1s that really focused on the more consumer-facing products. So at Ledbrook, that's what we want to do. We want to pair the best of technology with the best of insurance expertise to offer a better experience for those wholesale brokers. Okay. And take a step back here because we've got listeners of all different backgrounds, might be life insurance folks. And can you tell us a little bit more about ENS? Obviously, that's earnings and, uh, sorry, excess and surplus. Um, tell us a little bit more about what the typical products are, what the typical covers are, typical customers, and just kind of flesh that out for people who are new to ENS. Yeah, that's a great question. So, when we talk about ENS, we're talking about the non-admitted market. So we have total freedom of rate and form. So the, the risks that end up getting placed here, especially through wholesale brokers, are things that are kind of your normal coverages like GL and property, but extra hazardous exposures. Or on the other hand, it's really specialty exposures like things like fine arts or aviation. All of this stuff would kind of come under the ENS umbrella. And so for whatever reason, these... Uh, risk can't be placed in the normal market, they come to ENS and then we offer an experience that would allow them to bind coverage. 
Got it. And a moment ago, you said, uh, what do you say, extra risk or special risk or something like that? What are some of the kinds of yeah, hazardous? Hazardous, hazardous that's the word you, you said. Yeah. 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 I got curious. There's got to be some interesting ones in there. What are some what are some of the interesting things you see? Yeah. So I think if you think about how does the policy make its way to the ENS market, it has to be rejected by a number of admitted insurers. So if you see something maybe in the habitational market, if you see something like student housing or um, certain condos in Miami or, or low income housing, maybe you can't price that effectively on your filed rates. So you'd say, hey, I can't, I, I'm underwriting, I can't do that. Let's send it to the the wholesale broker. And then somebody like Ledgebrook would provide a quote. So the pricing would be a little bit higher, but then those risks would be able to access a market with different forms and different coverages. Okay. And then actually, uh, before I dive further into um, what you're doing now, I'm kind of curious to hear where the idea came from. I mean, I know that you were at, uh, I believe, Liberty previously. Um, did you have the idea while you were at Liberty? What um, Take us through the, the genesis. Yeah, sure thing. So I spent eight plus years at Liberty Mutual. And, and when I started, I came up through the actuarial program, doing my tests, managing pricing teams, property, general liability, excess umbrella. But then the most recent role I held there was kind of what started the, the genesis of what became Ledgebrook because I, I led up the new mobility pod, uh, essentially an internal incubator of sorts where you would see risks from across the new mobility space. So autonomous vehicles, EVs, ride hail, ride share, subscription, micro mobility, all these kind of things, right? And so our mandate was to create new products and, and scale that business. And so as part of that role, we were able to scale up from you know under 50 million in GWP to close to 500 in about 18 months. <laughs> oh, wow. Expanding with our big ride hail partners, launching you know three new products. And so... As part of that, I was able to kind of see all the different parts of an insurance company, whether it claims routing, you know, billing errors, uh, surplus lines, lawyers, you name it. In addition to the core actuarial and underwriting stuff that we would we would think about as, as an insurance company. And so getting exposure to all of that made me kind of think, hey, if I can basically do this within the, the big mothership, what if I mm-hmm. kind of struck out on my own and, and uh, took off the parking brake of being able to to go as fast as I want to go, and so sounds like you're all going pretty fast get, from what <laughs> from those kind of GP <laughs> games. And speaking of going fast, yeah. I understand you set some sort of a record around your actuarial exams at Liberty. <laughs> I did. I like to go fast at, at, at everywhere. There's a website called Actuarial Lookup. You can find me to this day, uh, the fastest man uh, to pass all these tests, but. But I came in, I, I did that because I, I felt like I was coming in the industry, you know, a little behind because I started my career trading exotic derivatives at Barclays and a couple other places. So I came in, I turned 26 year old intern, you know, still no healthcare, no, no 401k. And so I felt like, hey, I better, I better pick up the pace if I'm going to, if I'm going to commit to this insurance thing. And, and I'm glad I did. Jeez. Okay. Well, who needs sports when you can monitor all the, all the actuaries and cheer for them and, you know. <laughs> Is there a betting line in <laughs> Vegas for this? It's like, I, this is, I learned something new about insurance every time that you can just go and just monitor all of these things. Yeah, you don't want to get in the actuarial fantasy football league. Yeah, exactly. The actuarial fantasy uh, football <laughs> league. <laughs> all right. So, anyway, so, um, so you're purely on the actuarial side. Then, um, then you're ended up in a place where you're like actually, you know, 
uh, moving GWP, launching new products. I mean, that's 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 a whole new world. Um, let alone startups. We we have a we'll get to that in a moment. But um, how is that transition? So that you're thinking about growing GWP. Yeah, it really opened my eyes to a lot of things because I'd been in purely actuarial roles uh, before, and then I, this was not right. This was product uh, manager there. Um, but I loved it. I like, I'm a builder, right? That's that's basically what I am. I like doing stuff. You know, I have a math background, so actuarial was a, a good fit and a good entry point to the industry. But basically, that's what I like to. I like to wake up every morning, have a great attitude, uh, work hard, push the ball forward, and, and one day kind of adds to the next. And and that was definitely something I felt in that role at Liberty, and something I bring to Ledbrook every day. Okay, I makes a lot of sense. Well, I mean, if you got a you got a big brain doing something mathematical is a good way to get in the door because it's a uh, of course less experience related and um you can you can you can run circles around people just by just by working harder and grinding harder than the guy next to you. <laughs> so, yeah, having a having a head for numbers. I I sometimes I get nostalgic when I see an Excel spreadsheet because it's been a while yeah. since <laughs> I've uh, got to dive deep into those, but yeah, uh, I, I love when that part of my brain gets used. Yeah, I'm the same way when I'm walking around the office and um, I see, you know, walk past an engineer and they're coding because um, I, I, my story is a lot <laughs> of similarity um, to a startup founder being a being a business guy. But, you know, my way in was coding um, because being the core mm. substance of you know, what we do just as, you know, being an actuary is the core substance to what you do. In both cases, like, hey, they don't care how old you are. They don't care where you went to school. And um, they just care how well can you do How good are you with the numbers? Can you write the code? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The tests are are the great equalizer on the actual field. Yeah. So, so, yeah. Anyway, then that must require, that just opens up a whole bunch of realm of soft skills and stuff like that. And I mean, they've got to be helping you today. We'll, we'll come back to that. All right. To the Genesis, you want to take off. You felt you had the parking brake on <laughs> there because you're only <laughs> doing a 10X in GWP growth. <laughs> yeah, we got big dreams at Ledgebrook. So, so to go back to that, I was working there. I loved it. I loved the people. It's mm-hmm. the greatest job I ever had. Um I started to think, hey, maybe I should I can branch out and do this on my own. So I thought about what are what are my value propositions? I'm an insurance insider, right? I've been doing this for a while. So targeting a market like ENS that's only kind of accessible to an insurance insider, that makes sense. And it also happens to be underpenetrated with data, technology, all these things that I can bring to the forefront as well. So a tech-enabled ENS MJ is where we landed. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've got bigger dreams, right? Than that mm-hmm. too, I think going full stack in the long run. And, and then becoming a, uh, this might sound crazy, Dan, but I want to become a, a globally diversified reinsurance carrier. I want to be yeah. a Munich, a Swift 3. I was so going to get to ground that. Up, modern well, your uh, recent article in the insurer about your 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 aspirations there. Definitely looking forward to it. I know. It sounds crazy. I don't expect anybody to believe me or get behind it, but um, it's really something I think we can do. I think we want to start, uh, start with this ENS. We can go to market fast, right? We can prove ourselves. Yeah. We can build a balance sheet, uh, but then there's a lot of areas of the insurance market that aren't necessarily super accessible to uh, the tech first folks that that we can bring a lot of innovation to. And so I'm excited to see how far uh, Ledbrook can take us with that. Okay. So let's um, let's talk about that, actually. Okay. So you start as you know, from an idea to an MGA and you want to climb the ladder as uh, mm. MGA to carrier to reinsure. Um 
The move from MGA to carrier, that that's something I see a lot. MGAs wants to be in control of their own destiny. They don't like just giving away some of these margins to the carriers and so forth. They also like don't like what they're being charged sometimes by carriers who you know are skeptical of them because there's a there's a trust component. Turns out, definitionally, startups haven't been in business that long, or they wouldn't be startups. Um, what you're suggesting on the reinsurance piece that is that is new to me. What do you think is missing in reinsurance that is a gap that could be filled? That's a great question. I think the way I think about it, a lot of the incentives are really different, right? For a for any big insurance company versus a startup, right? Where uh, you want to in a big company, you want to protect and perfect. I remember my my wife was in business school. She learned about that one day. She told it to me, I was like, "Huh, I guess that is right." Protect and perfect. Whereas as a startup or with someone with a startup mentality, you can come in and say, "Hey, what are the opportunities here? What have been mm-hmm. what's been done the same way for a long time that maybe with a, a fresh perspective we can change?" And I think uh, reinsurance, many of the kind of ways that of doing business and the ways of pricing things and looking at opportunities you know, lends itself to a fresh perspective, potentially. Okay. Then um, let me ask this. What type of insurer right today is not being well served by reinsurers? Is it, is it, you look at mostly at MGAs or are you thinking some of the traditional ones too? Heck yeah. I think there's a, there's a lot of, of different answers there, right? I think MGAs, uh, are one area that I'm familiar with, right? As we're going to to search out reinsurance for ourselves, right? People want to see really long track records, right? Or a really narrow focus on, on what you're doing. Um, and there's different opportunities, right? That might that might go by the wayside because of that, or or wanting you know so much certainty on uh, on certain deals. Um, but I think a lot of times when I was kind of inside the bigger companies, right, the, the first thought is, uh, I I can't get this wrong. No matter what, like let's 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 uh, let's go towards the stuff that's ninety five percent certain to make us money, instead of maybe there's some higher margin things that uh, maybe uh, you know you're eighty five percent it'll go right. If it goes wrong, it's not that bad, but that's too much career risk uh, in some cases for people to take advantage of um, the great opportunities that are out there. And so thinking about things from a a more actuarial expected value uh, financial lens, I think is, is the way I think about things first. And and that could be beneficial in many ways. All right. So what are um, we excited about right now? That's a great question. So yeah, so let's put the big audacious dreams on the shelf for a minute. We cover the book and founding and we cover the big audacious (laughs) dream. We're 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 narrowing our way in. No, it's great to talk about, right? Because it's something as a founder that's close to my heart, but um uh it's not that's not in the near term for us. But we are gonna be in the near term as a tech enabled SMGA that's gonna serve our wholesale brokers really well, right? So if you're a wholesale broker, what you want uh, is responsiveness. Mm and consistency, right? You want to know that we're going to get back to you quickly and our appetite's going to be consistent. You go from one le- one underwriter at Ledgebrook to the next, you're going to get the same answer. And you mm-hmm. go one month to the next, you're going to get the same answer on appetite. It's going to be crisp, clean, efficiently delivered to you. And you know this is not a secret, right? I think mm-hmm. you can ask anybody if this is what they want. Um, but we can deliver that with technology solutions, right? 
So our innovation at Ledgebrook is is not anything on the distribution play like Mm -hmm. you imagined before. We're not asking our broker partners to do anything differently. Mm -hmm. What we're saying is send us the submissions and we'll process that more efficiently in a number of ways so we can get back to you faster and smarter uh, on the pricing side. Does that mean they they, um, transmit the, the submissions in the traditional ways? Send us an email with a PDF, some embedded Excel files, and, and we'll do the rest, right? Um, so to talk a little bit about the technology mm. approach, and I want to talk about Socotra in relation to this too. One of my favorite We're adding topics. value in a number of... Your favorite topic, right? Yeah, we can uh, agree on that one. Um, so what are we doing, right? So there's a number of stages for these submissions, right? There's uh, there's a submission intake. So we'll use some AI to to intake faster, more efficiently. Mm-hmm. There's triage. What are we going to work on? What are we not? You know, over half of the wholesale broker submissions. Is, is the AI for interpreting the emails? Because said so that the app. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. So you're really focusing on having minimal interruption to the brokers compared to the way they're used to operating. Yeah, so they won't see any of this, right? This is, yeah. we got to intake the data, we got to triage the submissions, we got to store that data in an efficient architecture mm-hmm. where we can get yep. it back out and, and do analysis on it. And then at the end, the fourth step is we got to tee it all up for the underwriter, right? So they're not poking around on 15 different screens and three yep. different systems for different lines of business. And so by by adding value on each of those four ch- uh, steps of the chain, intake, triage, data storage and data display for the underwriters. It's just going to be a much more seamless experience internally. And by removing those internal frictions, we're going to, you know, implicitly remove a lot of the external frictions that our broker partners will feel. And of course, that's where we met. So um, I feel like I interrupted (laughs) you when you're about to say something awesome about Socotra. So I, I apologize. Always. So that's always on the tip of my tongue, Dan. I'm always about to say something awesome about Socotra, but but that's Socotra is a really important part of our journey, right? Because it's the most modern policy admin system and it gives us the most flexibility to build and launch new products on top of it, right? So we're going to market with a GL product, but none of the technology approach I just described to you has anything to do with GL specifically. So once we can prove that we can be the most responsive and the most consistent, there's nothing stopping us from launching a, an ENSDO product, DNO product, uh, an environmental casualty mm-hmm. product, a non-cat property product. And we're going to need a policy admin system that's flexible enough and forward thinking enough and modern enough to allow us to do that in quick succession. Um, and so that's one of the big reasons why Socotra was the right choice for us. And you guys, um, I mean, I could spot it when I first met. You guys have a great team. Uh, the, the things... When I'm meeting with someone for the first time and describing what we do and how you might interact, I usually have to start very basic. And you guys were like already there, like, oh, geez, if why would I buy software if I that doesn't have open APIs? And I didn't have to explain yeah. that. You're just like you already got it. So I knew that by by taking that and scaling it, that you were going to achieve high velocity in the ways that we had designed it for you to achieve. So I'm excited to hear that you're getting there. We are. And, um, and it's funny that, yeah, the idea of Socotra connected with me immediately. There's two things that stood out. Stripe for policy admin system. I get it, right? Like I get what that is right away. And then um, the consulting versus product. You guys are a product, mm-hmm. not, a, not a product ma- or a consulting masquerading as a product, right? Um, and that's kind of what the some of the negative experiences folks have had, right, with other 
uh, PAS implementations. Mm-hmm. And, and so getting the value prop right away, getting to work with great people. Uh, there's a coach team. I mean, yourself, you know, I've enjoyed all our interactions, but everybody that we work with day to day, man, they've been so helpful. Um, oh, thank you. Can't say enough. Everybody, yeah, yeah, really, really appreciate that. Then, um, how did you think about, because I'm looking, thinking about your journey from, you know, math to actuarial to um, pushing GWP and doing those, the projects you did at, at Liberty to startup and now into tech, which starts to come full circle a little bit because tech's very mathematical. But how did you, um, from the insurance background, how did you come into thinking about technology? What was it like to, to make that, I don't know, to make that leap. And how did you, how did you educate yourself? How did you come to get to have the intuition that you had when I first met you about what a system should look like? (laughs) And and how do I spread it to other people in insurance? (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's, that's funny that you ask it that way. So, so having worked inside an insurance company, right. Mm -hmm. And been responsible for the technology implementations of my, my new GL model, right. Or, or new product builds that we're doing in the mobility pod, right. You see a lot of the the frictions that it, they're just you can't believe it, right? You've, we're asking for a new broker code. Just should just be a number that we can now do business under six months, right? To to implement something like that, uh, we we wanted to implement a new GL model, and and they quoted me eight years to uh, to implement that. And it's just like, wait a minute, that, that can't be right, right? Um, I, I don't know a lot about technology, right? But let me educate myself because uh, I think we can do better than that. So from there, it was like a learning process and talking to people who know a bit more about technology than I do, but uh, getting exposed to some of the ideas uh, that are out there mm-hmm. uh, made me kind of recognize when I saw a good thing. Yeah. And then um, where are you in the cycle right now? Are you, are you are you live? Kind of which products, states, things like that? Or uh, are you in development? We're in development. So we're looking to go live in Q4 of this year with our okay. first product in time for a one ones, basically. And that'll be a GL product with supported access. So casualty okay. it's the biggest product. We're going to focus on manufacturing is where we have our deepest expertise. Our CUO kind of wrote the Bible on, on guidelines and, and rates and all that kind of stuff in his last two stops. So that'll be our focus. And then we'll write other businesses that our broker partners need that can help support that. Um, and so that'll be our first product. But then once we get this thing up and running, like I'm saying, we could launch additional new products, uh, two or three more in 2023. And, and that would just depend on the underwriting talent we can source and the market conditions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're flexible as long as we get the technology working. You know, the sky's the limit. All right. Well, I was asking because I was curious to get to the time frame. Then you're definitely, you're well under a year to in your in your deployment and maybe add another year from you know founding an idea and i'm just comparing that to this eight year that was estimated to you that's like, <laughs> you know i can start a new company hire a team raise money to find a product build a tech stack from scratch and get live in <laughs> a quarter of the time let alone budget yeah I- Hey, that, those those were some of the thought processes, right? I'm, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I actually met with my former boss, best guy I ever worked for, uh, just last week, and, and they still haven't posted my role, Dan. It's been uh, it's been five months, so like that's the speed at which sometimes like legacy players can go. 
which is fine. It's great. I love everybody at OB yeah. Mutual. I, I honestly I spent a decade there, right? That, that's the proof. Um, but yeah, we can move faster, right? We can we can go at, at the speed that we want to go. And uh, and when we have partners that enable us to do that, you know, you can start to you can start to get some momentum, right? And uh, and make things happen pretty quickly. What do you think is the future for innovation at the tier ones? Are they just doomed? They're like it's just going to be slow forever, and they're they're just going to move really slowly and maybe acquire. Do you think they're going to kind of pull in some best practices and move a little faster? What do you think is going to happen? Yeah, I think it, I think it'll be a combination of both, right? So I work in an innovative part uh, of a big insurer, right? And so it can be done, but there's just a lot of uh, roadblocks to that. A lot of them have CBCs now, right? Where they're uh, they're in the venture space, they're they're working with these startups much more closely, which I don't think you could say was the case 15 years ago, even 10 years ago. So the the desires there, the people are there. Um, but there are some structural, uh, you know, limitations to what you can do. I mean, even as successful as we were at, in the mobility pod growing that thing, does it really matter to a, a $40 billion premium company? It, it's sort of a rounding error at the end of the day, right? So does it, uh, does it really behoove you to kind of to, to start new things or really to perfect your existing products uh, that you know are, are in the many billions of dollars? It's always going to win, right? And it should. Yeah, it should always win uh, the bigger parts. So, so I think the jury's out on, on how it will play out. But uh, the I think the thought processes are there and and the desires there. Mm-hmm. So, it sounds like they're in a situation where they can afford to be slow for a while longer. Yeah, or or work on the work survive, on the big yeah. stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Which makes sense, right? That's the right play, um, and then. You know, folks like me trying to start my own thing, and and we'll see we'll see how that plays out too. Yeah, I also read recently um, you had a really exciting hire in um, in Steve Mills. I'm kind of curious. Um, congratulations, um, president of ENS over at Hanover. I understand. I'm kind of curious how you know how'd you how'd you find him? What's he working on? Um, and, and how, how do you think about bringing that kind of talent to experience a network into a startup? Steve, Steve's unbelievable. Um, if I first met him, I honestly, I just posted a job on LinkedIn and he responded to it. What? Said, you know, said the post and spoke to him. Yeah. Looking for president of ENS at tier one. <laughs> <laughs> What's that there? Okay. I kid you not. You never know, right? Uh, just go out and start talking to people. You never know what you'll find. Yeah. But it was that simple. Um, and we really connected, right? And then over a period of weeks, kind of talked about what we could do together as, as business partners and and his experience mm-hmm. and how I would a- enable him, right, to to do what he's been doing before, right? So I'm not asking Steve to do anything different mm-hmm. than he's already proven he can do ah. over 30 years. He's written at com- amazing loss ratios, amazing combined ratios. But frankly, with one hand tied behind his back, mm-hmm. right? Given the, the technology infrastructure at some of these legacy places. So that's my job. My job is, hey, Steve, do the underwriting, blank check, do whatever you need to do. I'll enable you with the technology and processes and people and, and culture and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's the one-two punch that Ledgebrook brings to the table. Got it. So it sounds like you guys are pretty philosophically aligned out of the gate. In fact, the fact that he applied to the job kind of definitionally meant that he got it. Yeah. When I read that, when I read the little cover letter he sent, I, 
I couldn't stop smiling because yeah. I was like, this is somebody who gets it, right? Yeah. Like, now it's my job to, to make sure I give him the experience that makes it worthwhile for him um, to bring his expertise and, and his leadership, right? Like, like there are a lot of people who are super experienced and really nice, but Steve is a great leader, right? Uh, he's a leader of people. As we're having these conversations with, with folks like yourself around the industry, like every time we talk to somebody, it's like, oh, I worked with Steve Mills 10 years mm-hmm. ago. He's he's the best, right? And so that that takes us far as well. Um, just you be good to people, Dan. You know, eventually it, it comes back around. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's definitely the case with Steve. Yeah. Well, I haven't met him yet, but I'm really looking forward to it. Maybe we're on ITC or um, another conference. Um, certainly, if you ever bring him down to Austin again, <laughs> I would love to see him. Very cool. So getting back to the broker experience, um, I think it's really cool. What I'm hearing is you kind of, you're, you're isolating variables a little bit that you, you, they have the same emailing experience that they're used to. And to what extent are you doing that? Because you think that that interaction is not going to change. Oh, and to what extent is it that you're just concentrating somewhere else? And once you've got that working, then you're going to provide new experiences for the brokers, like a, an app or a, I don't know what, or even bypass brokers. But you're probably going to stick with brokers long term. No, we're, we're going to stick with brokers, wholesale brokers only. Right. This is a, a segment. This is a this is our customer. And, you know, as much as the policyholder is, wholesale brokers are our customers. And we're going to exclusively use that as our distribution channel now and forever. Um, but what you're, what you're getting at, I think is that, um, we are isolating, right? We are trying to make our internal processes better because frankly, as such a small fish, we can't ask our partners to change their behaviors, right? It's just too big of a hurdle. Uh, it's just not going to happen. So we have to play our hands as it dealt control. We can control, be efficient on our side and then just provide that great experience and then, hey, maybe in a year or two, once people start saying, hey, there's something going on here, uh, we can offer them more of a, a custom experience. But for right now, you know, we can't expect to change behaviors. So we're kind of taking the lay of the land as it is. All right. So um, let's see. How has lockdown treated you? I understand you used to travel quite a bit um, before. That's probably <laughs> had to uh, put the clamps on that. Um, hopefully you'll be able to get back to at least i've been hearing you're quite a quite a world traveler oh yeah i miss it so much my wife and i were just talking about that this weekend uh we had been to you know 25 30 countries together wow. over the last you know handful of years and and international travel is something we really really love to sink our teeth into it's just always a new place never the same place twice and um that's something we really miss but then we we had covid we had a had a couple kids uh, and you know, your life changes. You don't always get the same opportunities you did. So glad we took advantage of that. Cutting back in here, we had a little bit of an internet glitch, but Hey, that's why we do this in advance and we can uh, record everything. So, um, I think we left off. We were talking about some of the travel you've done. Uh, you mentioned 25 to 30 countries. I was curious. Um, yeah, I guess what I'm thinking is first thing that comes to mind is like, what's the underrated gem that you'd want like to share? What should I what what place have I probably not been to that I should know about? Uh, that's a, that's a good one. Um, so so one of my favorite things I love going to visit ancient sites, uh, like big 
like the pyramids in Egypt or uh, Machu Picchu. Uh, and Angkor Wat, though, was my favorite personally. So this uh, old temple complex in Cambodia that was kind of covered up in the forests and then you know, was excavated within the last 100 years or so. And uh, it just blew my mind. It just blew my mind. These brilliant structures rising out of the jungle. Wow. Uh, right where, where is that? Up. It's in Cambodia. It's in and Cambodia. How do you how do you get there? Like, where's the nearest airport to this place, or how's that work? Uh, so you can fly in. You can fly in, but it was funny because we uh, we were doing a trip to Thailand, so we ended up taking an eight hour bus across the uh, across the border there. Would not recommend, um, but we got to see a bunch of the countryside, and it's an absolutely beautiful country. Beautiful country. All right. All right. Very cool. Um, let's see. Any other, um, what's your recommendation that's not an ancient ruin for, for people to check out? Good, good question. Uh, so I think I have to say our favorite place we ever visited was China. My wife's from China originally. And so getting to see uh, her country with her, trying all the foods, uh, wow, just incredible. Um, from, you know, uh, hot pot to dim sum and all everything else in between. I think China was the best place we've ever visited. All right. So I still have not been there. I'm probably, I don't know if I'm up to 25 countries, I'm probably close to that. I think I've been to six so far this year. But travel is definitely picking back up. I'm not sure what you're seeing on your end of the business, but the conferences are in full swing. Um, yes, they are. That's right. And I'm excited to go to ITC. I just you know, say, I've never been to ITC before. You've not? Okay. Never. Well, it's, it's, uh, it's something. So, um, and then, of course, that's probably the next time I'll see you in person is going to be um, on the stage on the 23rd um, for the modern core tech forum um i believe that you're going to be on stage with the ceos of CoverTree and hippo and i'm quite excited for that um that's that's a, a workshop of course we're doing um that sakotra is hosting at itc so people check that out it's the afternoon of uh, september 20th if you want to see gage that's a great time to see him um last question is anything you're hiring for right now or people you're looking to meet or um, someone's listening and they think what you're doing is really cool, what kind of person should reach out to you? Hey, I, honestly, anyone, right? Yes, we're hiring. We're always hiring underwriters. We're always hiring uh, engineers. So those specifically would be great. But frankly, as long as I've been in insurance, the insure tech world is still new to me, right? I just, just said I've never been to ITC before. So I'm open to meet anybody and everybody. And, and um, so honestly, Email me, gage at ledgebrook.com. I'll get back to you. Text, shoot me a text, 215-630-1098. I'll get back to you. Uh, I just I'm, I want to meet anybody and everybody, Dan, that I can right now. And uh, I'm super excited to go to ITC and be, and be part of the panel uh, with Socotra, uh to further that goal. Great. Well, the workshop last year was, I think, 100 people more than 100 standing room only it's going to be a pretty good crowd there so excited to have you there i think it's only going to grow this year obviously we have some announcements and looking forward to having you there with cover tree and hippo 
Um, the date on that September 20th, by the way, I got a note here that apparently I accidentally said 23rd. Maybe they'll edit that out. But if anyone heard 23rd, it's actually the 20th. And um, with that, um, I think it look, Gage, it's been great chatting with you. Thanks for making the time and sharing some really interesting stories here of how you got going, where we're headed from here, the mission, the um, of course, the, the experiences in big insurance and so forth. Yeah, it was an absolute pleasure, Dan. Thanks for having me. And thanks for the travel recommendations. All right. <laughs> you got it. If you need some specific ones, uh, I can get you some restaurant recs too. I know you're a big foodie as well. So Indeed. Indeed. Anyway, uh, maybe maybe we'll talk about that in ITC. But thanks for having right. me Sounds today. good. All right. Bye now. We hope you enjoyed this episode of MGA Founders Podcast, brought to you by Socotra, the policy administration system modern enough to power today's most innovative insurtechs. Visit Socotra.com forward slash MGA to see why more insurtechs trust Socotra than any other core platform. You'll find links to future episodes in today's show notes. Thank you for listening, and make sure to subscribe and help us out with the review.